everybody, and welcome to our official episode two of Companion to the Companion, where Ian and I work our way through the Fish Companion Volume 3's top 100 fish shows of all time, chronologically. Uh, our second show is from 31392 at the Campus Club in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you about it. This one was a heater. I think the jump from 87 to 92 was massive. And uh, yeah, it was, I had such joy remembering this show. A heater heater's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> heater? It, it was indeed fire. a heater. Uh, different band in 92 than, you know, we came to know later, but oh my God, so much fun. Yeah, they, they've really... They've really tightened things up a bit since uh, 1997 or 1987, and it is a big jump. I mean, it's you know, five years, um, and yeah. you can tell that they're a much more seasoned band. They're very, very confident, uh, but they're still very silly and very funny. And yes, uh, there's a lot of humor, a lot of, uh, you know, I tried to look into where they'd been since '87 and what big milestones and. Uh, in November, just prior to this, in 91, is when they signed to Elektra. Right. And it was a seven-album deal on Elektra. I think the confidence of that and the confidence that they got that deal on their own, um, being the band that they are and starting to play outside of just Vermont. Um, I mean, Providence is a really fun town. I have spent some time there. Um, I, I don't know. I just This specific tape has a lot of lore for me from my history, too. It does. Um, yeah, just just in terms of Providence, you know, and in itself, I remember having this tape really early on um, in my fish love and along with 122994. And I remember thinking to my like not really knowing anything about Providence, you know, from being from Southern California, just being like, oh, I guess I've heard of it um, on the East Coast somewhere. But then that both of those shows happened in that place. I was like, oh, they must really love Providence. What's what's going on in Providence? <laughs> Uh, so e- even as a, from a fish perspective, I feel like that city does have a little bit of lore. Some cool stuff has, has happened there. Um, it's just a, it's another new England town. They right. all kind of blend together. The more time you're up here, <laughs> um, and every town has its, you know, different sized venues and this, you know, it was a good size little place. It's not there anymore. And this was their fifth and last show there. Fifth so and last show there, right. It feels like they both knew the place well, felt really comfortable. Yeah. Um, the crowd was really just dialed into the band and the show, and they they just oozed comfortable on stage. Yeah. And I believe after this, they just outgrew it. Right. So there's kind of a, that vibe, too, of the, There is. I was going to say... Space. Yeah, I was going to point out that I just feel like the juxtaposition of how small that room is and the type of music that they're playing, it just feels crazy that those people were lucky enough to see that performance in that room. And I think that's kind of one of the things about seeing a band earlier in their career is every now and then you can see a band that really comes together early and to be able to catch them in a really intimate environment is kind of, you know, the ultimate goal of the life music going experience in a lot of ways um, yeah so you can definitely sense that the people in that room lucked out on that night especially having been their fifth show there like you said that's that's like they they had conquered that room before and they were ready to destroy yeah. it again so yeah and it, it it felt confident there was a lot of confidence i you know i um 
I don't know what your first experience with this tape was, um, but there may have been an opportunity of me to hear it earlier on. But from when I, what I really remember, uh, the first time I ever heard this was when I was delivering pizza for Woodstocks. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'd heard it before. People had talked about it, and everyone has this different name for it. Um, I always called it the Big Black Furry Antelope right. show. Um, and I remember, this must have been 96, right. 95, 96, and just delivering pizza one <clears> night and driving around in my Jetta, blasting this and switching between smoking smoking joints and smoking cigarettes. And it floored me. And I remember it wasn't, and in this listen, it was the same. It wasn't just that one, you know, the antelope is the hallowed ground of the show, but it was everything. Yeah. It was the playing. It was the tightness. It was, you know, the, we talked a lot about Trey's playing in the last show. I think the rest of the band at this point has stepped up heavy. Yeah. And I know, I'm curious about your feelings about um, the lack of baby grand that comes next year right um with Paige's tone sometimes it you know it can get under my skin only because we're so used to the future right but his playing is still just majestic and gorgeous and oh. yeah it's just a different sort of thing it doesn't quite have that the refined beauty and class of the baby grand but at the same time it does have a sort of playful um impressionistic quality to it that he can kind of like joke around with it and he can kind of get to other realms that you can't get with on a, on a classical piano. But yeah, I agree with you that the band has really stepped up, but I also think that Trey also was stepping up at the same time. So even though I feel like the band is much better and they're, they are kind of closer in talent. I I still have a hard time noticing Mm -hmm. like the things that I noticed that are like really, really special are almost all Trey. I mean, there are a few other moments, but for the most part, I'm like, man, I can't believe what Trey just did. So he is still, he is just so on fire at this show. And he's in a real spunky mood. I I have to, it's almost (laughs) kind of like, well, we'll talk about it later when we get to the possum and the the language lesson. But uh, let's, let's start talking about some of the songs. Let's, let's start it off at the beginning. So we have another curtain. Yeah, this one, like, it, it oozes the confidence. Yeah. It's just dominant, and I, I, I thought it was great. Without the width. Right. And the width went away for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, imagine walking into the show and your friend brought you and you saw that as an opener. <laughs> yeah. It, it's... It's something else. Well, I'm trying to be real about it in terms of like, yeah, because we're like imagining like, what if, what if this was our first <laughs> show or what if this was an early show, you know, and you have to think that it would have taken you a few songs to just kind of like get accustomed to the room. You're probably not paying super close attention to the music. Maybe you yeah. are, but certainly like at a younger age and when you're seeing a band for a few first time, it, it, it takes a little while to, to get accustomed to what's happening. So uh, maybe I was thinking you would be kind of like really sucked into it after Maze or like like maybe towards the end of Maze and the repetitive lyrics, you might be like, that would catch your ear. Uh, yeah. But certainly by the time the fluffhead was over, you would maybe be aware that you were seeing something quite special. Um, yeah. And yeah. Then by the time the antelope's over, you realize that you might never see anything quite as good for the rest of your life. So Yeah, I... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of debates this show sparked in my mind well, with myself and I think that I would have with other Fish fans. One is um, I was very impressed by 
the last show, there was a lot of covers that I think showed what the band listened to. And they were trying to use cover songs for their audience as a way of, hey, come on back in. Uh, there is almost, there's three in this show. Yeah. But a lot of teases. Um, they're still they're still rocking the teases. Yeah. yeah. But it is them being fish right. and their original music pushing forward. I mean, the rift songs, there's some early ones here. This was the yeah. fourth ever maze, third ever mound, second ever horse silent, and uh, third ever my mind's got a mind of its own. So there's right. a lot of like early performances of some of the rift stuff. Um, and this tour in general, I mean, Picture of Nectar had just come out and they were already onto their next album of material. Right. And they were really chomping at the bit. And there's also a large lack of huge jams. Yes. And this may crack open a bigger egg of, as a fan, would you rather see a show that is blistering with energy and tight and clean and the composed sections are played not just with clean execution but with with some mustard on it right um and that when they do type one improvise it is over the moon yes or do you want to see the big jams <clears throat> yeah that's for the me question yeah almost every day of the week i'm a i'm a i'm in the earlier camp right not that i don't love the big jams and i think later shows we've talked about the paradiso 97 shows those are some of my favorite shows ever and they are just big jams. Yeah. Um, but this show really represents that first category. Well, yeah. And I I think ultimately, you know, most serious fish fans are going to say, well, I want both. Well, you know, and sometimes you do get both. <laughs> and I mean, I think for the most sometimes. part, that's why we're talking about these top 100 shows, because they actually did get a bit of both. Um, and 92, yeah. you know, not so much. And actually, the couple of 92 shows that are coming up after this one, you know, they're both amazing shows as well. Um, yeah, I'm excited. But, um, you know, they don't necessarily have big jams either, but this is not the big jam period for Fish. That, that's not yeah. what they're doing. And you kind of mentioned the songs, the new songs, and that was just something that came to mind is that I think where the confidence comes from is that they're just so proud of these new songs and they're yeah. so excited to be playing them. And I think that all of us have noticed that even if a song is kind of crappy or we don't like it, I think especially in 3.0, um, and this rang true, you know, absolutely in 2.0, that if they have a new song that they're kind of excited about, they're going to put their kind of heart and soul into it, and you're going to really appreciate it. I mean, there are songs that yeah. I really didn't like in 3.0 when I first heard them, then I would go to see them live, and they you could just tell that they were giddy to be playing it. And by the time I was over, I was like, well, shit, you know? The energy was there. Like, the desire to really want to hit this thing home was there as compared to them playing, you know, bouncing for the 300th time. So yeah, no disrespect and I felt to that Bonson. every <laughs> um, every song in this first set feels that. Yes, yeah. Every song there's an excitement, there's an energy, um, moving straight from um, the curtain into split open and melt. Um, it's not a huge split. It's, but it's so perfectly played. It is so enjoyable. They yeah. nail the sections. That the solo is is beautiful and they start to really, you know, the juices kind of get flowing in right. the jam and it's not big. It's not exploratory. Um, but it is just tight as can be. Yeah. You can tell they're really excited to play it, but I do think it's one of those songs where they're, they have, they're not going to figure it out for a little while. It's still, it's still a little early and it's, um, yeah, 
you know, metamorphosis, but it has great energy. And I, and I love the last couple minutes and you can kind of, oh, like, yeah. even as listening to that, you're like, Oh, I can, I can tell this is going somewhere. And I think that that's yeah. a cool part of fish is that it doesn't always have to be the best version. I like, I love kind of like looking back at the evolution of themes that kind of pop their way up and jams throughout tours. And I think that stuff is like really, really interesting to see and gives, gives things a lot of depth. Um, it's a little too easy to just be, you know, throw a show on and only go to the the best parts. Mm-hmm. I like to listen to the kind of undiscovered little moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think like after having put my work in, uh, I'm entitled to like go back to the best parts sometimes, only because <laughs> I already know. You know, like yeah. I'm looking for a certain sure. feeling, and I I know, like especially because I've heard so much fish, uh, I don't want to over listen to them. And, uh, yeah. and I'm very careful about that. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to be listening to them, I don't want it to be something that I is not going to do anything for me. So I guess I've gotten a little like a little bit more selective about that. But I, I do. You make a very important point. And, you know, this is true of all art. If you don't kind of like watch it or listen to it all the way through, you're going to miss some of the best stuff. Because yeah, all, this journey all, we're now taking yeah. self-imposed journey is uh is so great for this and it's really one of the big joys i'm getting out of it mm-hmm. and it reminded me that you know when when we used to hang out a lot and listen to fish keeping the ball rolling i always used to say whenever there was a good poor heart it was a good show oh you like did something yeah about that's true <laughs> poor heart was like this thing where i'm like if if they nail the solos in poor heart then the show is really it's going to be something mm-hmm. and this is like this is perfection, poor heart. Yes. And Trey Solo goes over the top. space it's got some space and he does go over the top i mean he has so many solos in the show that yeah you know it's interesting because if i'm thinking about playing i want to show somebody how amazing of a guitar player trey is i'm not going to 97 or 98 i'm not going to do that because it's he's that by that time he's playing too crazy there's too much to digest there he's got his pedals going he's got different tones you know, half the stuff, half the time when I play something for my wife, she's like, what instrument is that? And I'm like, that's Trey. Yeah. She'd be like, what? That, that's crazy. But at this time, Trey was just like this true and true, just kind of classic rock improv. I'm going to rip a cool solo. It's going to be a little bit bluesy. It's going to be a little bit jazzy. It's going to have all these <laughs> kind of crazy aspects to it. And he's really trying to impress. And there's nothing to kind of get in the way of it. It's really just kind of, and it's just guitar soloing in its purest form which i know a lot of people like to shit on but as you know like when i was in my early 20s i I was very impressed by great guitar players that's all i really wanted to see i i think from a live perspective yeah i had seen guns and roses um and that was as close to seeing like watching slash was as close to seeing like a 70s rock guitar god 
as I had come, you know. I had seen Jane's addiction and was, like, really disappointed by Dave Navarro. Just been like, guys, oh, he's just <laughs> kind of wanking. And, uh, you know, I, I had seen Eric Clapton. I guess that kind of count, but he was, like, over the hill. And I just wanted that sort of um, unbridled Hendrix sort of explosion of energy channeling through a guitar like Pete Townsend or something like that. And Trey really is delivering pretty amazingly um, yeah. at this point in his career and for the next several years. Um, and I and think also, the, you know, like yeah. the, the, the cut off t-shirt and the like yeah. pasty skin <laughs> and <laughs> the silly, you know, the sloppy grin and yeah. just big red hair. Uh, this was that moment. This was that time. And it was, um, you know, the joy you can go and watch a lot of videos of shows around this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unbridled joy on the face of that man is is beautiful <laughs> at this time. Yeah, and you f- you feel that energy when you listen. It's it's confidence on top of energy. Yeah. this is what happens when you practice that hard. As a band, you work this hard. Yeah. You get to you know going out to play the show is the easy part of your job. Right. Um. And, and uh, it, it shows. And it's also it's the time that you get the feedback, right? I mean, when you're yeah. writing these songs and you're spending all these endless hours practicing in your basement or your studio or wherever you are, you're not necessarily getting the feedback. And to be able to, like, take them into a room and and uh, just kind of share it with the, with the audience is – that's an exciting time for them. So that's their high. And, you know, we um, – Something I like to that I talked about last time that I, I really think is important is the world building. And they are just really just making an attempt to build themselves a fish world. Yeah. Um, and I and I feel like that's like so cool to hear. Um not just in the in the compositions of their music, but in what they're requiring of the audience. I mean, I, I feel like as an audience member, this is a show that um it's not like easy. It's not like you would go into the show and just be like, easy peasy, what a good time. Like by the time yeah. this show was over, you would have been on quite a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, a lot happens uh, by the time lot, this thing yeah. happened. A lot of <laughs> styles, a lot of a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh uh poor heart being, you know, there's a couple of sort of bluegrassy numbers. Moving from that into Gula is you know, there's jarring transitions. Mm-hmm. And I think Ghoul is one of those songs that I don't go back and listen to often enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had so much fun listening to this again. It always yeah. reminds me about the dance. Right. <laughs> the dance is so great. You forget. And then when you see them play that live, you're like, oh, well, you have these really silly little dance steps you do together. And um the inside jokes run rampant in the show and the little tongue in cheek stuff. And so I imagine on this tight little stage in a small club, this dance was probably just great. Oh, well, and just, yeah, I mean, if you know anything about Fish's outfits at this time, I can guarantee you they were priceless. Um, And just in terms of Gula, I would say for me personally, I know like a lot of people think it's kind of a a throwaway song, but when I was first getting into Fish, the Ass Festival, which is the middle section to Gula, was like one of those sections when I heard Picture of Nectar, I like, it stopped me in my tracks, the Ass Festival. It just like in the middle of it was like, oh my God, listen to this. And I guess, again, that was probably my classical upbringing because um, that is kind of has a classical feel to it or kind of yeah. like the chase in, in Reba. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that this is this is a song that has a special place in my heart. 
and I didn't see it until 10.30.98, and I, I remember when they started playing it, mm-hmm. I was just beside myself excited. I'm finally seeing Agula! Um, so, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it was a good listen back. And then we get the fourth ever maze directly after. Right. Um, short and sweet. Yeah. I feel like, you know, maze had not hit its heyday. No. Being the fourth version, obviously. But they, they play it clean, they play it tight. Um, and I, you know, Maze really becomes a big heater later on. So oh, for sure. Being, if you hadn't seen the band, this song was probably incredible. But having seen as many Mazes, you know, I I enjoyed listening, but I, it kept the energy moving, but it wasn't a big showstopper for me. Yeah, no, for, for me neither. Yeah, Maze to, to me is kind of like a, it's a complicated song in that, like it is kind of simple in that it's just kind of this straight up peak. But it is kind of like all about the details of the band. It's all about these small little reactions and interplay. And I think it took me a little while to um, figure out exactly, like I didn't never disliked Maze, but it took me a little while to figure out how to truly appreciate Maze. Yeah, um, it's such a visual song for me because yeah. having seen it live so much, the lighting, you know, Chris Caruda's job in Maze is so, it is so big. Yeah. Like those big, like the dark just spotlights that move and... It's a very visual song for me. Yeah. Um, I think from having seen it so many times and having the lights be such a big part of it, um, and really when the peaks explode, both in Pages and Trey Solo, it just blows the room up. Right. Um, It it becomes, it's such a centerpiece song later on for the band. And it's cool to see it in this early. It has to be experienced live. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, we, not side tangenting too long. Once you've seen something live, I feel like when you're listening, I wasn't at this show, but I can listen to it and I can get that feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the thing, too, where, you know, uh, uh, having, if you never see the band, can you visually enjoy the music as much? So I'm opening cans of worms along the way here. <laughs> but yeah. that's one of those where I'm not, I'm not even going to answer it. But yes. yeah, I do. I would agree that you can like hear when the color of the lights changes in the room. Like yes. sometimes I'm like, oh, Mike just frowned. I can just yeah. hear it in his, his note. <laughs> yep. And right at the top of Paige's solo is always the room just goes dark. Uh-huh. And it's those like squirming, low, flat lights. And oh, that moment always gets me. Right. So I. It was. It's pretty cool to hear "Amaze" this early, yeah. and then it goes directly into another one of the songs that is so compositionally beautiful. But I skip over all the time, which is "Dinner at a Movie." But it's also one of your favorites, no? Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> it, it was a. It was one I searched for forever as well, and didn't right. see for a long time. Yeah, um, it's a super funny, like goofy early song, but it is yeah. it is cool though. I mean, it does like I, I like the juxtaposition of dark and light and uh, just how ridiculous it is. But, yeah, um, it definitely encompasses one of those songs that are, are only for certain people. Yeah, and I I love it. I like the humor. <laughs> I like the whole thing. And I think I'd like to move into uh, before we get to the next song. So when we last recorded. Um, I think I skipped two things. I didn't bring the fish companion with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't mention that in every show that we're going through, there's tiny headphones. Um, I love this fish companion and it, 
there was a point I went through and every single headphone on every song I went and tried to listen to. Um, there's headphones. And in this show, they only <laughs> exist around the antelope. But um, some of the shows have a review mm-hmm. afterwards. And this review is written by John Demeter. Okay. And it's short, but I'd like to read it. Okay. Because it, it directly relates to the section we're at. Uh, he wrote, some people get it, in quotations, right away. For others, it may take years. Some unfortunate souls never get it. For many, it was probably realized in a live experience. But for me, it was a sunny afternoon on my way home to a summer job. I'm sorry, on my way to a summer job. The tape was 31392, the Campus Club, set one. I don't remember the exact date, but it was sometime in the summer of 93. The location was my car. (laughs) At the bottom of my parents' driveway. I had been listening to quite a bit of fish, perhaps even too much at that early stage in my fish career. One of my brothers was already hooked, and he played tapes constantly. Well, apparently, I liked them enough that I was listening on my own and developing some knowledge of all the weird-sounding songs. Either that or he just left the tape in my car and it was all I had at the time. As I was turning the car around to pull out, there was a seamless transition from dinner and a movie into Divided Sky. I knew both of these songs independently, but was often still confused by the transitions in different parts of songs that I didn't know. Thanks a lot, 22093. <laughs> <laughs> but this transition was so smooth and seamless, I recognized they had just flowed from one song to another perfectly, like they were one song, and recognized that I'd never heard another band do that before that well. I recognized in that exact moment that there were probably countless instances of this level of musical dexterity in the tapes that I'd been listening to, but I just didn't know the music well enough to spot them at all. It stopped me dead in my tracks. I dropped the car into neutral in the turnaround at the bottom of the driveway and listened to that segue like four or five times. (laughs) That was it. Recognize. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that that really is uh, wonderfully put. Kudos. Yeah, I don't need to read all the reviews, but that one, like when I read it, it that's it. That's right. the hook. Yeah. And this was that time in Fish's career where, you know, and in my life where these kind of shows were what gave me the hook. Right. This was that time. Yeah, I feel like that it was just as you were reading that, I was thinking about how there was like two it's where I got it listening to bootlegs and and to the albums and I kind of figured out the transitions and I kind of like understood the music but it was like a whole nother getting it going to live shows and learning how to turn the audience off and learning how to turn the experience off and then just completely be in the jam and like be completely focused on them listening to one another and that took some time too i want to say like four shows four or five shows where i really like before i was like walking out of it and it wasn't a blur, really. I mean, I would remember songs they played because I was like, oh, I was really excited to see that song. But in terms of thinking back and just being like, oh, there was that moment that this happened and this happened four or five shows. So and that's pretty unusual yeah. for <laughs> for a band to require that out of an audience member. They're like, yeah, you have to sit through a few, a few shows and just be kind of yeah. confused as to what the hell is happening. And that was purposeful on that part <laughs> as, uh, as will be addressed later in the show again. Yeah, I think it was really similar for me, too. Yeah. I just happened to show that it really, both the energy and trying to shut down your surroundings and understanding the power of it, for me, happened to be my 
I think it was around my fifth, sixth show was New Year's 95. Uh, well, so yeah, I just got one. lucky for it to be that show, <laughs> but it was that moment of where it kind of came together. Yeah, yeah. And it, the the experience of that day was everything about that 24 hours was a wild ride unto itself. But um, it from that moment on was really the, the second hook, if right. you want to put it that way. That's great. I mean, the first hook was like this, riding around in my car and throwing cassette tapes on and just blasting them and having it shock me and not yeah. understanding why it shocked me. There's a few times, like, I, there, there's it. a few of those moments where I almost crashed my car because of what was happening, yeah. the, the music. And uh, I know that sounds kind of scary and bad, but I remember those moments quite fondly. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's get back to the set list. So we're getting yeah. into the Divided Sky. What did you think yes. of the Divided Sky? Um, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Yeah. I loved it. I I could play it and then put it right back on and play it again. It was one of those. <laughs> yeah, they were really soaring during that. It, it was great. Yeah, and I don't, um, I think I mentioned this to you um, previously, but I don't really listen to the Helping Friendly podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I do occasionally. Um, I just, I listen to lots of other podcasts and I, I have, you know, there's not a lot of fish ones that jump out at me, but they, their episode 148 they do just a listen through of the first set of the show. Uh-huh. And I know that one of the guys, it, this divided sky was like his end all be all. <laughs> nice. And I remember listening to that after I'd listened to the, this show and I re-listened to it again with that in mind. And it, it made, it dawned on me how weird it, cause I loved it the first time, yeah. but listening back with someone else telling me, Oh my God, you have to listen to this. Right. It gave us a level of appreciation um, that was even deeper. Yeah. And, uh, there's that weird thing amongst, you know, fans of music where when someone you trust and you, you know, like we trust each other, if you say yeah. you have to listen to this, I'm yeah. going to go listen to it right away with, um, even a different set of ears, yeah, bigger ears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I loved this. Dev- I wrote down my first listen was spectacular top notch. Yeah. And then after I listened to their podcast, I went back and, um, yeah. Hey, I second. Yeah, divided sky think? is one of those weird ones where I I feel like it it has it's it can be incredible in any period. I mean, there's mm-hmm. even there's even some 3.0 divided skies that I was just like, wow. I mean, just like the I think especially because of the power of the audience and how big they were able to sound. Like they're still yeah. at this point for as complicated in the, as the music is, they're a very small sounding band, and. Yes. Um, and certain compositions like Divided Sky, when they're performed in this environment that's so big, it can take on this whole nether meaning. But in this environment, it does kind of like, you can really feel the beauty of this composition, you know, like the yeah. intimacy and um, just that it's, it's coming from their souls. And yeah, it's really quite, quite something. Uh, yeah. Divided Sky would be a hard one for me to be like, this is the version. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, it, yeah, it's just one of those songs. But yep. Uh, but you know, if you're gonna skip around, this is one of the handfuls to listen to in this show. Right. 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 Although, don't skip around. <laughs> um, and then, then we go the in, th- into mound. Yeah. yeah. Third ever. Complicated drum beat in mound. <laughs> I love the way they start it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some onstage banter in this show that really tickles me. Yeah. Um, and you can hear specific people in the audience. Uh, there's a guy later that we'll bring up when we get there. But uh, um, 
there's a little ribbing of Fishman before this, and Trey seems he just seems so excited. Yeah, so excited. Um, I when you see him jumping out of his skin, like you know, I've been at shows where he's just like it, you feel the electricity, right? And uh, you kind of get that in the beginning of this, and it was great. And and I think uh, when I was at Portland Meadows in '98, um, it was that summer tour seven fifteen. Um, they opened with some new songs, and Trey got really excited. He's like, "All right, fuck it, we'll we'll play all new stuff if that's yeah. what you want to hear." And he seemed really excited. People wanted new material, and that was a hell and of I a think, set. Yeah, I think before this song, he you get that vibe. He's like, "The band's always wanting to push, push, push." Yeah, and they're excited about this song, and they they hit it clean. I feel yeah, like this song s- fell out of favor for a while, but I as someone it. that's not a musician, I I really enjoyed the hook of Mound and the kind of sing along quality and the kind of quirkiness of it and the imagery that the lyrics um, painted. When I used to listen to it all the time on Rift, it was like yeah. one of my favorites off Rift. But uh, it never actually occurred to me like how difficult a lot of this stuff was to play. I remember we were driving around on tour, and you and our, our friend Ryan were like playing Mound on your knees with your hands and you were like doing the drum beat and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That's like mound. And then I tried to do it myself and I was like, Oh my God, I can't do this. Like I don't even, I couldn't even begin to attempt to do this and I still can't. Um, and even when I listen to it and I try and like go along, there's just something about my brain that can't do it. And I really admire that fish is like teaching itself to play these unnatural rhythms. I just think that's like such a cool thing. Um, and yeah. I like the way it makes me feel. It makes me feel a little okay, you know. Um, and it's very Mike Gordon to take this like basic blues riff, riff, yeah. and just deconstruct it into this weird off kilter, off time yeah. thing. <laughs> um, you know, and I, judging through his later career of, as a songwriter, um, this was some really early gold. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, and I've always been a fan. It's it's great. And this one, you know, for an early on mound, I, I don't know if mound ever really ventures beyond. No. Um, so it's one of those songs that you can judge by its compositional tightness. And this one was great. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Speaking uh, of we, compositional we into... tightness. What's up? <laughs> Speaking of compositional tightness, we move on to, to Fluffhead. Yeah, to Fluffhead. I mean, wow. Just, I don't even yeah. know what to say other than by the time this Fluffhead was over, I was just, yeah. Jesus. You're like my Fluffhead guru. <laughs> uh, I know it's one of your favorites, and this one was like I was excited to talk to you about this one. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, yeah, it was like, this it was one really really great. It had just tremendous energy, and then just speaking of that review before from that guy about these like seamless transitions. I don't want to jump right to the end, but this whole like sort of Wizard of Oz transition <laughs> after the fluffhead into this antelope, it really is next level. Like, yeah. like, if I really think about just kind of, like, plucking... I mean, this whole show is great. But if you pluck this fluff head, run like an antelope out, I just... Yes. Yeah. I, I, I was shocked reading, you know, how many people basically said, you know, this antelope, but also, if you tack the fluff head on, was some of the single best fish that has ever existed. Yes. A lot of people were, say that. Um, and it is... I mean, I, it's hard to argue. <laughs> it it really is. Hard is. To argue. It's compositionally the fluffhead is perfection. The I love that we talk about a song that has a section called the arrival, and right. like it has all these. It's just what bands do this. Um, the arrival's huge, and yeah, the way it fizzles into the antelope is beautiful. Yeah, 
and just the whole <laughs> I don't know why they why they played Wizard of Oz or like why they chose to make that a part of maybe they just watched it on a bus like who yeah. knows what it is but in terms of our lives this was like right when the watch Wizard of Oz with Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> and Get High that yes. was what was going on. Like that. If this you was... started them at the exact right time, all these things <laughs> happened. Yeah, <laughs> this was the right time. So I almost kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they did it. Did but we they ever do that? I remember be, we like, talked doing the it. same shit that we were doing. Um, yeah. So, so who knows? Maybe. But yeah, and that kind of goes back to my world building and the 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 Wizard of Oz is this sort of like entire different world that fantasy like kid like world that you would go into much like Gamehenge. Um, and uh, which is something that they're very into. And so there's like a little bit of a nod to like, we're, we're, we're creating this sort of like fish environment. And, and it really just kind of sucks me, sucks me into it, especially in that moment. And I just cannot say enough about the level of ambition with this band. Yeah. Um, the Fluffhead is one of these songs that the first time you hear it, you're like, obviously there's so much intention here. But what the what is this? Like it has all these weird parts. Some of it is uncomfortable and disjointed, and has these like weird lyrics. And um, but at the same time, so much euphoria and so much joy and uh, so much of a journey um, happens while you're listening to Fluffhead, yeah. and it's an opportunity for them to really show off their virtuoso skills. Um, and it's just like it's one of these songs that I think fans like to look at as like the big songs and then it's like a whole package song. You you get everything yeah. in it. And so when they juxtapose like a big song with another big song, especially at this point in their career, that was like pretty, it was a little bit more rare. You wouldn't see yeah. like a one-two punch like this um, quite as often uh, back in the day, at least to yeah. my recollection. Yeah, I... There's very few bands that make you feel so good about putting in the work and becoming part of the inside joke. Right. Like they do. And this is one of those moments through this fluff-headed antelope. If you know the band and you're in on it, and, you know, later when we get into secret language stuff, um, you know, it they're, they're really trying to rope you in. They're saying, hey, yeah. become, come hop on the bus with us. Right. This is, like, we love this so much, and we love our jokes, and we love being a part of this, and we – the more you put in, the more you're going to get out of this. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those real moments. It's um, How many concerts had we seen up to this? I mean, figure you and I were love going to see concerts. Basically spend all of our money on CDs and going to see concerts for the most part at this time. How many bands yeah. had we seen that you just like, you see these four guys or maybe there's a girl and they're, they wrote these songs and they're kind of going through the motions and they're there for the party afterwards. They're kind of interested in the girls. They're interested in the energy. They like the attention. Like, I just don't remember seeing concerts where I had these guys that were just like pure artisans that yeah. were just like, we have been toiling away at our creations <laughs> Yeah. You know, and we really are so excited to share them with you. And just yeah. like, will will you give us your attention and pay Please, attention to this? Look at this, look quirky at this. little like world that we came up with. And yeah. uh, yes, it's so enticing to to like want to join. Um, so yeah, absolutely, totally nailed yeah. the end of this set. Yeah, I, I mean, the antelope. We could go on and on, but the. Uh, it lives up to all the hype. Yeah. 
It it a hundred percent does. And the the Hawaii into the Hawaii. <laughs> how are you? Well, like I I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> it like, never it fails to make you then, laugh. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. And re-listening to this, I was you know delivering pizza in my car, just cracking up so hard, and like it was laugh crying, yeah. but also you know that the like jumping back yeah. to antelope constantly and shifting from song to song. Yeah. And you saw the language. You saw that the band was, they were, it was so conversational. Yeah. And, you know, later in the band, their improv becomes very fluid. Yeah. It's moving blocks and fluid and gentle or dark and big and brooding. This was just laugh, like a bunch of guys laughing having a, a four-way conversation that was just hysterical to them. Mm-hmm. And it's so infectious. You know, you walk, you're at a party and you walk by people that are just laughing and joking and pointing. This was that feel to this, to, you know, the the whole, the furry antelope. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it, it's really just, you get sucked into it. That's so great. The in terms of the Hawaii vocal jam, um, <laughs> this was like a jam that I really wanted to play for my wife Susie like earlier on than I did. I kind of like knew that it was a little bit too crazy for her based on like the type of fish that she was liking at first. Even though I do think this is like like a really good beginner's kind of thing, just because it's very funny sure. and clever and stuff. This whole but, set probably is. Yeah. But I literally saved it until we took our honeymoon to to Kauai. Uh, and then and then I made my Hawaii playlist and I put this on here and I can't be the only fish fan that forced their wife to listen to this when they were taking a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> I refuse to believe that. But uh, but I think because I waited and it had like this context and she was kind of like listening to the beginning and it was on this mix about Hawaii and islands and she's like, why are we listening to this? And I was like, just wait. <laughs> and um, and then it got to the point and we were actually listening on dual headphones like on the airplane we were listening. And uh, when it got to the Hawaii part, I like just heard her completely guffaw out loud on the airplane, just laughed super hard, and I was like, oh, it was "So worth the wait!" Yes, I win. <laughs> why? Oh 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 why? How? have them on we'll make sure to bring that one up because i want to hear her side she won't remember it at all she has absolutely no uh god love her she has no recollection for art she watches movies and then five years later she will swear on her life that she's never seen it uh, but you know what i have to say in like a lot of ways i'm a little bit jealous because it's just like you can just like keep listening and watching stuff over and over again and it's like a new experience so um yeah nice anyway <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps we'll ring a bell. We'll we'll see. So uh, that ties set one. Okay. And I, I, uh, so this show really gets pigeonholed into a first set weighted show. Sure. 
And when I re-listened, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put myself in that place. I didn't want to say, you know, I don't want to listen to set two or set one really is where all the meat is. And, you know, set two is kind of blah. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah. I did not find the second set to be blah. Yeah. I, I understand what people are saying in that for a first set that's that smoking, you'd expect the second set to have something big. Right. And it didn't. Right. I almost got the vibe that the band came back out set two and they were just so relaxed. Yeah. And (laughs) just having a good time and comfortable on that stage. Maybe mentally understanding they might have outgrown this room. But every song is played clear and clean. And, um, you know, there's some songs I just wrote solid next to it. Um, Which is, you know... I can't say that later in their career right? to every single song. Um, (laughs) Compositionally solid. And there's some real um, bright spots as well. No, I totally agree with you. It is a very songy set. It's almost kind of like in this show, the sets got reversed, like in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, But... But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I, From my experience, if you were to witness that first set, I mean, honestly, you could just take away the second set and present that yeah. first set, and it would hold up to a lot of shows. So I would say that first off to the haters. And second sure. of all, I would say that, and we discussed this before, sometimes it's just fucking amazing to see Fish just put put their all into these incredible compositions at this point yeah. in their career uh, when they were kind of like newly made. So and they're having you know, a party set too. Like I feel a an energy in the band where they're like, it's a whatever we play, we're gonna have a great time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kind of I remember we mentioned Plump in a previous uh, episode, I believe it was a local San Diego band we used to see. But they oftentimes <laughs> would come out and just kind of like have this nervous energy and have this crazy intense first set, and then they would take a set break. I'm sure smoke some bowls and then come back and then just play this like psychedelic reggae for an hour and a half. And like, sometimes we'd be a little disappointed because we wanted to hear big jams, but at the same time you'd just be like, they're just having fun and relax. And if you just kind of like close your eyes and danced and listened, you'd be like, this is really incredible stuff. And so I did kind of like think of this in terms of, yeah, it's not quite reaching the sort of crazy highs of the first set, but in the same set, in the same sentence, I'm going to say that I have like, something very nice to say about every one of these songs yeah so yeah i can't believe what plump fans we were (laughs) there was a point i don't know if you ever came with us but we used to go to pacific beach it was before i was 21 so i wasn't allowed into bars yeah no i wasn't and we used to the the this bar was really nice they would give us stools and they would open like the there were the side windows to this bar in pacific beach they would open the windows and then we would stand outside and watch them yeah, we were so into this band, and then well, at one point the bouncer was like, "Guys, I'll I, do you want to like sit out here? You can't drink." We're like, yeah, sure. And he brought us stools, and we would sit outside these windows, these like big like folding windows at this bar, and watch this band. Yeah. And there was a few points the band would look up at us and be like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" <laughs> we were these mega fans, and I know yeah. you with the 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 piece of art that you made for them and kind of the relationship like I, 
I still feel like if they had ever put out an album, it would be the lost album I gave to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Because they were so great. I already I, gave we, them. Uh, I gave so many people bootlegs across this country, um, and like a couple of people have responded. Like there was this one cousin of a guy that I gave it to. He's like, I gave it to my cousin because he likes stuff like that, and then he said he can't listen. He can't stop listening to it. He needs more yeah. boots, and I'm like, please give me amazing. more. Please give me yeah. more. Like that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't see them enough. Yeah. Oh my God, that pain. <clears throat> well, to get um, back anyway. to fish. Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, so Wilson. Yeah, um, Wilson starts off with a little bit more of the uh, the Wizard of Oz. Yes, a um, lot. And I hate to harp on it, but world building again. You know, they're kind of like taking us into Gamehenge and uh, telling us this story. And um, yeah, I think just to address drugs for a second... So when you're taking psychedelic drugs, the sort of idea that all music is good is ridiculous. It's bullshit. Yes. Um, if anything, it makes like it makes bad music just the worst, like completely yes. unlistenable to. Um, and then it makes music like this. It just kind of opens up this door that kind of allows your childlike mind to really enter um, the music and the space that it's in. And it's a pretty incredible thing, and there's not a lot of bands that can do it. Um, but I feel like this show in particular um, has a lot of stuff that that I just think would have been really incredible on psychedelics. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm having a hard time trying to put my finger on exactly why. But I think part of it is... You know, I'm just going to stop myself and admit that I, I got a little bit lost in my thoughts and I'm trying to talk about something that's kind of ethereal and a little boop, boop, boop. Sure. And I'm going to I'm going to come back to it. Do you think it's it, it could possibly be just that perceptive intention of, you know, I can listen to a great piece of music when I am that high. Yeah. And see through the music. Right. See through the notes. And dive into the intention of the creator. Right. Which I don't know most people listening to music do that on a daily basis. But if you are in that altered state of consciousness, you you can do it with ease. Right. Especially if you're someone who listens to a lot of music, plays music, finds this to be a centerpiece of your life. And when you delve into that with this band, you actually, it opens up a... a you know, it's a flowering lotus of deeper understanding for what they're choosing to do as artists and thinkers and human beings. Right. And I feel like if you, I, I don't want to pick someone bad here, but like Debbie Gibson mm -hmm. came on when you were tripping balls. Yeah. Um, you're going to kind of see through to the songwriter that wrote it for them, who's right. a middle-aged white guy, maybe like us. Um, sitting at a keyboard at home and created this melodic structure that knew would sell a lot of units and push those units and move them. And you actually have that disgusted, regurgitative reaction to uh, that kind of music. The whole cycle. And I think that this is the opposite of that. Yes. Right. Yeah, and I think I'm also like uh, like very sensitive to lyrics in those states of mind. And there's something yeah. about uh, Fish's playful, sometimes non sequitur, non, you know... Uh, 
yeah, they don't necessarily make sense a lot. And sometimes they're like really goofy, but I feel like they really work. Um, so in terms of like yeah. the game hinge songs, they kind of make you feel like a kid again. You feel like you're going Lion Witch in the wardrobe, which is like super yeah. cool. And then you go into Brother and you're like, I'm jumping in a tub with my brother. And they're making all kinds of funny noises. And you're like, this is like kind of amazing. They paint these like really cool um, pictures, uh cool images with their words that I think like yeah. gets them in trouble with a lot of people. And it's like, it doesn't stupid. It doesn't make sense. I don't like, understand. I've never understood that. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading all the, all the lion, the witch and the word. Well, the, the series, the right. Narnia series with my kids now. And we're actually on, um, Prince Caspian already. It's really oh, exciting. Cool. Um, which is the third book. Uh, it's been really great, but I also fishes lyrics can be dungeons and dragons sometimes be nerdy right but that's that and they've addressed this um that's the first argument is that how can i like this band when their lyrics are so silly my first question back to people is so what kind of lyrics do you like right because it it ultimately is going to end up at a love song (laughs) and you know at, at some point like we need to we need to be deeper than that yeah and fish as they've aged as a band and I think Tom Marshall as a songwriter um, and all of them as songwriters have delved into some really deep issues. And that's right. why sometimes when people say, oh, well, they're just dad rock songs now, like it pisses me off. Yeah. I'm a dad um, and I like rock music, yeah. but that doesn't mean I'm some dorky ass dad rock. You know, like uh, Miss You, you know, jumping to current fish yeah. is one of my favorite current fish songs. Right. Because of how... I understand how meaningful that is to the one who's singing it. Right. And that emotional context may not have existed at this time in Fish's career. No, it definitely didn't. Yeah. But they're able to evolve as a band so far from this deeper Dungeons and Dragons, you know, a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe sort of really creative world into tapping that emotional place where people used to complain they didn't tap then. Right. So I, as a band on the broader spectrum, they're doing it all. Yeah. I, but at this I point, agree. they're young and they're hungry and they're, they're not shy about going into that fantasy world. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. Like, you make a really good point about sort of like what kind of lyrics do you like? Because if you're just kind of singing like a – not that I have a problem with love songs or – but whatever the sort of like traditional ideas of like – I, I'm angry, you got breakup songs, you have I'm longing for you songs, you have all this stuff. But like, you're right, you do kind of like see through that stuff. And I like yeah. to hear lyrics that I can't necessarily see through where I'm just like, whoa, all these lyrics are is just a picture of your guts, of just your yeah. insides. You know, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why we like the Fiona Al- Apple album is because I, I don't yeah. sense an intention other than, you know, these are just, this is your throw up. You're just throwing shit, yeah. just coming out of your body in an uncontrollable manner. And I, and I love that. And at this time in Fish's career, you know, they, they were just goofballs having fun. I mean, they were privileged white kids that were getting an education and just kind of like putting their toe into the success of being professional musicians. And they were really happy. So these lyrics, for the most part, are incredibly happy, if not straight yeah. up stupid. But, you know, when I... I like listening. I like feeling that way. I, I like those ridiculous lyrics. I have no issue with that. Yeah. I, I guess as an 
as an older man, I understand the complaints about Maxwell Silverhammer, and then most people hate that song, and critically, they just, like, shit on it, the Beatles, Maxwell Silverhammer. But, like, as a kid, I loved that song. I used to listen to that and just be, like, imagining the hammer coming down, and I didn't think about it in terms of it's sexist or <laughs> there's the darkness yeah. that it, that exists in that song. But, um, Paul yeah, McCartney's a goddamn goober. He's just a goober. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he's still a goober. He's always been a goober. Let's just understand that about him. And the song makes total sense. There's nothing wrong with being a goober. There's nothing wrong with being in the coolest band in the world and kind of being a dork. Yeah. It's okay. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> well, so, okay. So Wilson, so, yeah, yes, Wilson's a good opener, but it does, there's, I've, it's grown as a song over Fish's career and it, it's a little sloppy. And I think that it sets a tone for the set. Yeah. Uh, which I think Brother directly after, which I, I I waited forever to see Brother as well and saw it at, I think, one of the most underrated fish shows of all time. Um, but this Brother just goddamn smokes. Yeah. The Uncle Dieter call, too, that they throw in there, <laughs> like the SNL reference. And then they screamed Hawaii. After. Yeah, it's like, hilarious. I hope yeah. this made your Hawaii mix, too. Uh, but I, I just wrote the energy is back. Yeah. Um, like the Wilson you know, it comes in, it seems like whatever happened at set break happened, but this brother just brings it. And, right. uh, I, you know, it, you expect the Trey solo. That's what brother is, but right. it's big energy. And I really loved it. Wilson is one of these songs. I just want to go back to it for a second. Yeah. That, uh, like when you're listening to it at home, like Wilson is a song that I'll often skip because like, why am I listening to Wilson? But when you're seeing like a Wilson in concert that, at the end, when you're just like, you know, they like it. It works. Yeah. It like it gets you. It gets the juices flowing. Yeah. You know, so so it is a good opener in that sense. Um, yeah. And again, you can kind of sense that they were excited to be sharing it. But uh, yeah. But yeah, brother, just so much energy and just just absolutely yeah. ripping. Um, they definitely had the eye of the tiger at this point. I think that like, <laughs> I think that that was something I thought of at the end of that brother. I was like, man, this band really got the eye of the tiger right now. Yeah, yeah. There's no stopping them. Yeah, and that that just confidence on stage is disgusting. Right. Like as a you know being a musician, being on stage, you're. It takes a lot of years to be confident, and yeah. it, even when you get there, are your other fellow musicians confident too? Right. And are you clicking and sinking on that level? Um, it is really hard to get to. And I think that, you know, jumping from 87 to 92, I think, you know, I'm trying to wipe my fish palate and just do these shows one at a time. Right. That confidence level is so just all over this show. Oh, yeah. They seem so happy. And they're, the jokes are less jokey and more inside jokey confidence. Right. And they develop a language. I remember you and me and Ryan and Ryan's girlfriend at the time um, leaving. I don't remember if we had just seen Ravi Shankar together uh-huh. or if we had just seen. Oh, God, what was it? I can't remember. But we left somewhere and we were all talking and she looked at us and she goes, did the three of you only talk in inside jokes? Joy, that was her name. Do the three of you only talk in inside jokes? Yeah. And I looked at you and Ryan, and we were kind of like, yeah, maybe we spend all our time together. (laughs) And that's, this is that kind of band. Yeah. 
they're young, it's 20s, it's being aggressive, it's it's Python-esque, I guess, too, with its humor that um, the more you put in, the more you get out of it. And Yeah, uh, but, like, whereas, yeah. like, um, Zappa felt a little bit, like, did feel like an inside joke, it didn't feel like, come and be inside of our inside joke. We want you to be a part of our inside joke. Yeah, um, it was more like, "Hey, watch our inside joke." It's kind of like it's very entertaining to watch that we're having it. But Fish kind of decided we want to open this up and we want everybody to be a part of it. And I think yes. that was some groundbreaking uh, maneuvering by them in terms of the audience that they were able to create over the years. I mean, and I won't say it wasn't a conscious maneuver. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the inner machinations of the whole thing, but yeah, um, that seems like a genius conscious move from it, a i think it, i would argue it was absolutely conscious yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i mean I, I bought it i think it's provable <laughs> by the secret language i mean i think like yeah. you don't sit down and come up with a secret language for any other reason than that yeah so well, let's um, get there um yeah second ever horse silent horse silent second ever yeah i mean you can tell i guess yeah fishman's <laughs> drum beat so the silent in the morning beat is one of my favorite things. I always forget it. Then I see them play it again. When he drags that beat, when they're doing the final verses, it 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 just drops behind everything, and it forms this really intricate rhythmic pattern. And being a bassist and someone obsessed with rhythm, it is shockingly gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, and seems so counterintuitive and hard to play. And uh, you know, it's not there in this version. Yeah. So it is a version that grows later. But it's such a juxtaposed piece of music that exists between brother and the landlady. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's true. And also important at this time because, you know, like as a band, you want people to leave your show and like have a great time. But you also want them kind of humming a tune. You want yeah. them humming a tune that they want to come back and listen to or just a hook that's going to stay in there. And certainly Silent in the Morning um, is a good one. I, yeah, like, I between, feel like that's... We just that? talked about odd lyrics. This is much more... Um, yeah, forever. You know, at this point in the 90s, um, you know, the bands that were big, it was Nirvana and Pavement and R.E.M. and, you know... Some other weird bands were happening. The Beastie, I mean, the Beastie Boys. Boys. Um, the Chronic came out. Uh, Pure Guava, Ween's album came out. Mm. But in general, you know, music was it, it, it was radio rock still, and I think Horse Silent, you know, Page's voice. We talked about it last show. Has never changed. It's so sweet and you know, preppy in certain ways, uh, but clean. And he enunciates well, and this this the horse being Trey's part of it. There, there. This is something that could grab someone who wasn't sure about a song like Wilson and Brother. Right. So it is showing a lot of range. Yeah, and then to follow it, yeah, yes, I I, I totally agree. And then then we have lizards next, right? Yeah, the landlady again. Oh yeah, the landlady. Wrote great, great clean version. Right. Um, but then lizards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I miss the Baby Grand a lot in Lizards because this is one of one totally. of those songs for me. Yeah, um, where I just am like rubbing my hands, excited for Paige's solos. 
Totally. Um, I, I agree with you. I was kind of excited to see what uh, Paige was going to do, but then it ended up just being the Trey show. But I mean, I was yeah, very... Yeah, I mean, his playing was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The build at the end stole the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was perfect. It's a compositional gem. Like, in as a song, it's a beautiful compositional gem. Yeah, I, I But agree they really, like, they polished that thing up through the through the big build at the end. It's perfect. I feel like when people ask me for, like, a list of my favorite Fish songs... Lizards is always one that's kind of circling the list. That it, yeah. like it never quite makes the list, but it is like a song like that that you said that like as a fan I'm very proud of Lizards. Like if yeah. Like, yeah, well, like play that to someone if someone tried to like say something bad about it, I would just be like that is unacceptable. Yes. Um, and every show I've ever seen it, it starts and I'm like, "All right, Lizards." And by yeah. the end I'm like, "Holy shit. Did that just be, <laughs> like New Year's 95?" Yeah. That well, it has one of those, one of those songs where oh it, like, finishes, and then it has, like, the tacked-on double finish. Yeah. Because it could end, you know, like, three-quarters of the way through the song. You'd be like, amazing! And then Trey does his final solo. Oh, the melody, yeah. the, the the coda and the finishing melody is just, it pushes you over the top. Yeah. And then that very last tight little ending. Like, at, at, it feels like showing off composition because it's so good. <laughs> I like There's times with this band, and when they're playing tight, you know, you... Like this version is really tight. You get to the end and it feels showy. It feels yeah. like, oh, you think that's the end. Let me throw this at you. Oh, and that's not actually the end either. We're gonna put this exclamation but, point right on the end. But it's showy in a like not in a like cocky way, in like a Broadway yeah. way. Like in yes. a we're this isn't just a rock song. We're putting on like a Broadway show. Like, um, that and it, it definitely has notes of that and tones of that you can tell Trey's a fan even at this early age of of musicals and end of cheese uh, which yes. i am as well um yes this my, takes uh, us to my mind's got a mind of its own right yep and the third ever god i love this song uh, this was always like one of those songs <laughs> was like who writes this song but what an awesome song yeah um traditional bluegrass style like another way to kind of like bring in a new type of you know, audience member or someone that yep. might be turned off by brother or Wilson. And, but maybe they don't like the ballad, but maybe they're a country fan or a bluegrass fan. And then they hear yeah, that great solo. And, yeah. And then, yeah. And then by the time of the times. end of it, they're like, man, these guys shred. Uh, yeah. And, and cool and cool, uh, really cool lyrics. Like I just, yeah. I, I like the sort of concept of wrestling <laughs> with your mind, not being able to control your mind. You know I mean? I'm sure yeah. like not a lot of people can, appreciate that but um funny my son my five-year-old son was like up almost all night the other night because his three-year-old brother's birthday was the next day and he was like so sad or whatever he was crying and the next day we're talking about why he was feeling that way and he says daddy i just i just couldn't turn off my brain it was like a (laughs) wheel that kept going around and obviously he must have heard me say that at some point but i totally cracked up and i was like i get it kid you you got the genes you're gonna spend a lot of sleep with you're gonna spend a lot of sleepless nights in that bed um sorry to tell you (laughs) so i like that song um anyway into uh sloth again great great version um solid Shout out to the last four seconds or so. I believe they really just hit the ending of this song so hard, like in a way that I was just like, well, you're not capable of doing that anymore. So that's like yes. a reason to listen to these shows is the band is able to pull off sort of physical musical feats that uh, yeah. 
I don't blame them for not being able to do them anymore. I think it's totally natural and right, and I love what they're doing, but they just can't do yeah. them anymore. So they're fun to it's listen. It's different. To. Yeah. The energy. It's it's that it feels like it's on tap whenever they want it. Yeah. And then the rift, which is uh, slower. Yeah. And <laughs> I wrote this note. So about two minutes in, and it may be a headphones only situation, but I, you know, like you having kids. Yeah. I listen to a lot of music with headphones on. At about two minutes in, there's this guy in the audience that is just so synced up. And he is <laughs> screaming. And like Trey really starts ripping into his his, you know, structured solo over that the first section before it goes to pages and back to Trey's. And he is just screaming his head off. And you feel this guy. He is that one guy in the audience who is so zoned in on the whole thing. And it, it really, like, you can't have it not bring a big smile to your face. It is fantastic. And I love I, those moments. Rift is a song that, there's a handful of songs in this show that the band has not been able to play in 2.0 or 3.0. And we can debate this over and over. Um, I'm a pretty 1.0 fan. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't 2 and 3.0 shows that I don't think are relevant and have changed me and are beautiful and absolutely stunning. But they are a very different band. And the band I fell in love with and the band I choose to spend most of my time with is a 1.0 band. And in that range of their career, there's you know different eras as well, sub-genres maybe. Um, 87, the last show was one subgenre, And I think these, this run we're about to go into, which I'm really pumped about yeah. 92 and into 93 is really another subgenre. And I think the reason maybe they skipped from 90, from 87 to 92, the fish companion writers in their top one hundreds is because this really is another signpost mm-hmm. and they cannot play rift like this no. anymore. Um, I think there's a, you know, we could pick some songs that they can't do anymore. And I don't think that they lose sleep at night because of that. But I think as a fan, we, you know, in listening back to this, it gave me a happy sad. Yeah. Because well, Rift is so important to me as a listener, but I know I'm never going to hear it again. I've seen a couple of 3.0 versions that were like technically perfect. They're like where I was like, wow, you didn't miss a change. Like, I can't yeah. even believe it. But energy and this is an energy song so one thing that i did notice about this version was that on the album it's kind of like a dark song a little bit there's kind of an edge to it and the build is so intense um there's not there's not a lot of space to it it's just like really in this version it does get a little playful like i really like uh trey's solo at the end it gets a little bouncy a little country groove to it um, and I like that it's a little bit different for a live version. And I will just kind of preview note that the rift in the 32092, which will be our next show, is probably my favorite rift. Um, <laughs> so uh, for as great as I think this one is, and it's really cool, I don't think it holds a candle to the no. next one. And it's kind of crazy to I'm think it's like one. six days later. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and that, I, yeah, so anyway. Well, I, there's some songs in Fish's career, um, being someone who lives in New England now and grew up here off and on, um, 
this is a very New England song for me. Mm-hmm. And it it's cold. It bounces over green hills and white valleys. And um, it's a very running, dancing, moving. Like, it's an energy song, but it's also, it's very visual of New England for me. Yeah. Um, so it really holds a deep place in my heart. And I, I agree with you on this one. I think it's good, but we'll spend more time next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Both, so both after literal Rift, we next week you. and also in yeah. hist- historically next week. Yes. Um, Love You is next. Yes. Well, they'll hold your head up into, into Love You. And uh, yeah, I mean, this was just like a great time. I, don't, I mean, I had a huge smile on my face the whole time I was listening to it. Um, it might be the high point of the set for me in some ways. <laughs> yeah. I was so surprised because I, I skipped the Fishman stuff a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now that we're really trying to be completist and take our time, listen to full shows, um, hold your head up becomes such the big thing. But Cold as Ice was great. Yeah, yeah. And they did it so well. Oh, is it Cold as Ice? All I'm the sorry, humor. Cold as Ice. But the, all the humor was so funny. Yeah. And Love You is so good. And uh, the solos are great. Like, there's this round robin of soloing that yeah. I thought everyone did a great job. And Trey's, like, anti-solo was perfect. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, to be a fan at the show and watch Trey play drums the whole time, or, I mean, Fishman play drums the whole time, Trey play guitar, and then have them stop and have Fishman come out. And he sings. You know, Trey always says Fishman has a better voice than people think. He sings great. Yeah. And I'm a big Barrett fan like you are. And he nails it. Oh, yeah. And Trey's drumming is also tight and clean. And, and it also has, like, a joie de vivre. Like, in yeah. the, in the, like you can, like, feel it in, like, the drumming. You're There's like, well, groove. this isn't Fishman drumming anymore. There is, like, yeah, there is, like a, a giddy bounce to it that is reflective of Trey's personality. And is there anything better than when you can, like, hear a musician's personality in the music? I mean, it's just the best. Oh. So, yeah. No, it was... I understand in the context of this set how this is a perfect perfect piece of the set at this point. down here that it sounded like Paige was playing gumbo a little bit yeah that the rhythm was very (laughs) you know popping and uh, good times yeah and Um, I thought the cold as ice back out was uh it was good and it I think it it gives the band a little levity and it gives them a chance to kind of take a breath as well right and then it moved into possum which yeah, gets I did talked about this show about a lot. Fish's solo that <laughs> like it was just so crazy because like you could tell it was the bagpipes, I guess, but right, it was bagpipes, right? Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it also sounded like like an electronic malfunction. Like like I was like listening to it and I was like, did something electronic break in my house? What what is that sound? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's Fishman. Okay, 
Um, and I always like love those moments when he's able to create kind of a unique sound that makes me go, what the hell is going on? Um, but yeah, okay, so let's get to the possum secret language lesson. Um, certainly a lot to unpack here, but a lot of it we've kind of discussed before. But I yeah. just sort of think that this, to me, is one of the most memorable moments in Fish's history. In terms of maybe not, this was the first language lesson I heard. So I'm just yeah, going to get to this one. Same. There's a few. But I remember hearing this and just thinking... Okay, this this there's no question this was the band I was looking for. I just think that yeah. the idea behind it, it's like breaking the fourth wall with the audience. Um, and I thought that was such a unique thing. And as someone that takes music so seriously and and is like so my my brain and my consciousness is so wrapped up in what the musicians think that being in, uh, invited by the band to be a part of it, um, and to interact with them and to play with them, I just feel like is the invite of a lifetime. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, like I really their... just think this is quite a special moment. Well, it's obvious that I need to explain this one more time. <laughs> I was just testing there. Okay, let me just explain this really quickly since word has not spread yet, obviously, since the Portsmouth shows. But this is a very interesting sociological experiment to uh, find out how quickly word can spread. Anyway, what I explained at the Portsmouth shows Okay, I'll explain it very quickly here. What I explained at the Portsmouth shows is that we have a little secret language here. And um, what it is is if I go like this anytime during the night on my guitar, or if Paige goes like this, or if Mike goes like this, and as I said in Portsmouth, we don't let Fish talk because he talks enough in real life. So it's basically a little musical language going on here. If I go like that, it means I'm going to talk. And then, or if any of us do that, this means I'm going to talk. And if I do a certain signal, it means, so this is basically just to draw your attention to the fact that something is about to be said. Now, one thing that might be said is this. Boom! Right, that's what you do. So it, it's supposed to be, you know, the Simpsons thing there, Homer Simpson. If, if I do that, now the whole idea here is, if you get most of the people that usually come see fish or come see fish a lot are going to get in on this language, it's kind of a secret thing. Hang on, I'm explain it. And the whole concept here is that someday we go into, we pull into some town, Providence or something, and some guy comes off the street who's never seen fish before and walks in, and he's standing there watching this concert, and suddenly, in the middle of some big jam, hundreds of people all go at the simultaneously. Or the other thing that could happen, and this is what we were doing in Portsmouth, is if I go like this, and then I go, everybody's supposed to suddenly fall down onto the ground like they, like they died simultaneously. So that will leave the people who don't know what's going on standing up with all these people around them. So the other things that can happen are, just quickly, what do we have? There's five of them, right? There's this one. 
which is to, uh, uh, that's uh to everything turn 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 and what that's supposed to tell you to do is to turn around and look at paul and cheer at paul as if he's the band back there <laughs> and scream roots at the top of your lungs roots Root Doc. Um, so that's three of them, and the other one is this one. <laughs> At which point you simultaneously sing a random note. Is that right? Okay, that's it. Four of them. Can everybody remember that? So you should tell your friends this stuff or put it on a tape or something so that I don't have to keep explaining it. The way they approach it is also very... Come on, we talked about this yeah. a week ago, guys. Yeah. Maybe put it on a tape, share it with your friends, <laughs> get it together. We got to be able to do this thing. We expect more of you. Yeah. And, and that expectation of, like, as listeners, get your shit together, guys. Come on. Yeah. If you want to be part of this band, you're going to have to step it up and you're going to have to put some more <laughs> into this. And it, it goes to everything we talk about with them that yeah. uh, they, you know, they dream of having an audience that could be something that they've always wanted. You know, right. it's this real dream thing. And then they work towards that goal. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of bands try to shape their audience to be the audience they want. Right. The way that this band does. Yeah. And this was such a shaping moment. And being a fan and listening to this tape, um, the two big moments that really stood out when I was young was, you know, the big black furry antelope yeah. being its wild craziness. And then this, yeah. this was what you sought after. You said, I need to be involved in this because the next time I go to a show, I got to keep this, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff in my head because yeah. I got to be ready. Like when they, when they make some noise, I got to be ready. I got to pay attention. And was it a sly way for the band to just say, please pay attention to every note we're playing Yeah, yeah. because we may do something weird. Right. And I remember, um, going to see the four nights at Red Rocks in summer of 96 and we arrived the first night and there were people that handed out into the audience these tiny, I still have it, these little pieces of paper and the piece of paper said when the band, if the band does this do this. Right. And there were a handful of things on there. If the band does this, do this. And it was a chance to try to get the entire audience to read this piece of paper and react to certain songs in certain ways. Right. And it was um, magic. And the only one that really fired was the Harry Hood that was on the night that had all the thunderstorms. And, um, you know, you could look out over Red Rocks and there was giant lightning storms in the distance. And when they said Harry at the beginning, the audience just screamed hood at full volume every time. And the band's reaction was shock. Yeah. And that Harry Hood was one of the highlights of all four nights because they suddenly got that the audience gave a shit yeah. and that we were there to be there with them in a way, in, a, in real time. And I think that the secret language is attempting to do that as well. Yeah. And that that's, it, this was a special thing. I, I completely agree with you. Um, You're so nonchalant about it. <laughs> Roots. <laughs> Root up. Root yeah. Up. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because when Trey's disappointed <laughs> with the audience, yes. he's like, yeah. "Oh, guys, you're gonna have to practice." That is just the best. Um, it makes me like feel ashamed. Like, oh man, I'm, I've let you down. What can I do? Can I help? 
<laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. Well, and I think that the possum secret language speaks for itself and every fish yeah. fan, um, you know, and even non-fans, I think this is something to listen to. I mean, when he says, when you hear this, that means we're trying to talk. That means someone's trying to talk. The first time you say yeah. that, you're like, oh, you are talking with your instruments, aren't you? You know what I yeah. think? Like, it seems very simple, but a lot of people don't think of music that way. Um, and the way Fish uses their lyrics as just like another instrument. And, you know, these, these things seem simple, but they're pretty unusual for other bands. So it's one of the things that makes and Fish so special. Making Having a band come out and say, what we're really doing up here is trying to have a conversation. Yeah. In a very jazz band way. And I mean, you and I are having a conversation now, which is wonderful as well. But and music is a conversation. And when it's good, it's a good conversation. Right. And... I think them pulling from all these genres in music, yeah, they're going to, you know, and when they close out with fire, you know, Hendrix's fire later, it's a big rip in rock and song and they can play rock and roll, but they, I think at this point, the secret language is them trying to almost through their audience, create a base, laying a groundwork for their improvisation to come. Yeah. For them to move into a jazz, into a free improv, into a deep, deep area of improvisation and as a band that they're not quite at yet. Yeah. And I think when we look at the secret language, we go, this band was so cool. This is so great. But I think if we try and look at it through their eyes, I think they're trying to lay the groundwork for what's to come. And it really got me this time listening through that they were trying to build us to be fans of what was to come in the future. Yeah. No, Especially I, once I we got to training 93. Us. It was like a training show. Yes. <laughs> I mean, 93, between 92 and 93, there was a giant quantum leap in risk right. on stage. And I think that they were just training us and saying, we're going here. And if you guys want to come with us, here's some, some help. Yeah, and you know what, frankly, 93, you know, which was just the next year, is a crazy different year. I mean, they're yeah, they're becoming a new band by then, too. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting towards the end. We should probably yeah. wrap it up here, huh? Any final um, notes? Yeah, it was Contact and Fire. Oh, yeah. I got the contact. The, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Everything was fine. <laughs> I thought set two in general, like, it doesn't have any huge monster anything. Right. Um, if you're going to pull a, a lot of things from this show, I would pull a few things from that set. Um, but on the whole, it was just a great listen. Right. I love this so much. It had been so long. Yeah. It's nice to listen to lunch shows like these after the while. I guess just to like mention something in the encore, Mike did play an accordion, right? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and he said it's, it's high time he, he learns to play the accordion. It is. Yeah. <laughs> we could spend the whole time talking about Mike Gordon's dry wit. And what fans we both are of it. Um, but it, it's on display, yes. Um, and I love Contact as a yeah. song. Um, and goddamn, fire is just ripping. Like, they start the show with just fire and they end it with fire. It yeah. is, it is, it's great. And, fire and to be, a, you know. It's kind of funny. I'm a huge Hendrix fan. And I like, yeah. just as a hot take, I'm not huge on Fish Hendrix covers. I'm probably going to get some hate for that, but maybe, <laughs> but he does tend to, he, he does like, he does great. And by the end, I'm always like, wow, Trey, you really did great. But 
I don't know. There's maybe I'm too big of a Hendrix fan. I don't know what yeah. the deal is. But there's some big bold as loves out there. I'll, I'll bold as love is we'll one I'm there. good with. I think I'm thinking more Isabella and Fire. Um, are maybe ones where I'm just kind of like, eh, some gonna be some shredding. I know what that's like. You're not on the Tia Carrere Wayne's World tip on Fire. Well, I definitely did think of Wayne's World. Like when they played it, I was like, I wonder if they're playing this because of Wayne's World. Uh, that was that same yeah. year, or I guess it was the year before, um, or maybe not. I can't even remember. It might have been '92, but it was around they always that time. they always seem to be on the have their finger on the cultural pulse with things like that. So maybe, and plus they are very yeah. tongue and cheeky kind of. Anyway, well, that's three thirteen. Let's uh... three thirteen. I think we both agree that it deserves to be on the list then. Yeah, and I think everyone should re-listen to this and yeah. remember what they were like. And if you haven't delved into fish in the past, early earlier fish, um, this is a really great thing to go towards. Yeah, I think it's really crowd friendly. Um, I also, I, I I I'm trying to hold off as much as I can, but I'm pretty excited about next week. Um, <laughs> Three twenty ninety three is going to be fantastic. I mean, another. That uh, antelope is supposed to be through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, a Reba that's, you know, questionably fantastic. Um, more secret language. Again, I guess there's not enough. Um, and then that week of pause is supposed to be, you know, tantamount to greatness. So How, how long has it been pumped. since you've listened to it? Or have you even heard it? Uh, it's been many, many, many years. Yeah, this was one. This was a tape that I don't think we, <clears throat> that you had or you had given me. It was certainly not one that yeah. I had. But it was like a few years. It was probably like four or five years ago. I saw online somebody recommended it, and I went and listened to it. And um, you're right; everything you just said is true. It's really something. Um, yeah, so I'm not to put pumped. this down. And in I any feel way. Like... it's kind of a different show. Um, it's a different style of show, which is cool. So yeah, I'm super excited as well. And um, yeah, all right, everybody. Till next time, New England Fire. I'm excited. <laughs> all right, take care. You too. Bye, Ian. Hello there, friends, and thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or would like to reach out to Ian and I about anything at all, you can find us at companion to the companion at gmail.com.